Hey, good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Lots of good stuff coming up today, including Chef Lynn Crawford on easy ideas that will be perfect for the holidays. Now that we're, you know, we're definitely in that uh, countdown into December now. Uh, Also, great tips for every day, though. And if you're like me, or maybe you're not, you might be a little bit brighter than I am, which uh, wouldn't be too hard. I don't know a lot about whiskey, so I've got the perfect expert on the show to give us a little lesson to get us really ready to entertain for the season. But before we uh, speak with my guests, I wanted to remind you of something that um, I've been doing for a couple of years, I've been involved in, and I've talked about it on the show before. So if you're like a semi-regular listener, or you know maybe you listen around this time of year last year, you know that um, I've spoken about the shoebox project. And during this sort of time of year when people get really crazy for like Black Friday sales and Cyber Monday and, you know, all the deals that you can get for yourself or for other people, um, it's a really great time to just think about picking up a few extra really practical things for someone who really needs it. Um, on the uh, the website for the Shoebox Project, you can actually see the list of suggested items. So what they do is um, they help women in shelter. So women who are homeless or perhaps at the risk of uh, homelessness in communities across Canada and the U.S. So they've really spread in the past few years. And I've been... Um, I've been uh, involved in the past few years, and by involved, I just mean that I, I pack up a few of the, the shoeboxes and I drop them off at uh, a drop-off place that's near me. And the um, suggestion is that you make the box worth about about $50, and you pack it with like small little luxuries, new, not stuff that's been opened or, or used. And these are things that, these are Christmas boxes that will then be given to women at various shelters uh, in your area uh, for Christmas. So uh, just to give you an idea of some of the things that you might even have lying around the house, because what it is, I cleaned out, like I have this this like drawer of things that I end up buying when they're on sale. So I've got like, you know, all this toothpaste in there. I've got toothbrushes, deodorant. I, I have like two brand new things of mascara, some lip gloss, lipstick. So all that stuff that you start hoarding through the year, uh, that's all new. It's the perfect time to, you know, maybe pack that up into a little gift and uh, and share it with someone who needs it. So a couple of ideas. They need things that are warm. So socks, mitts, scarves, uh, hats. Uh, it's nice to have a little sweet treat. So maybe some chocolate, things like um, hand lotion, soaps, as I mentioned, just kind of like basic uh, hygiene items. So toothpaste, dental floss, shampoo, conditioner. Um, and then like a little beauty item because these are women who probably don't get um, any sort of treats through the year. So something like a nice lipstick or you know maybe some eyeshadow, some nail polish, just those little things can really make a big difference. And I've... Um, um, spoken to the women who started the Shoebox Project in previous years, and it's really quite amazing the sort of impact that receiving uh, this box has on a lot of the women who just kind of feel, you know, forgotten around this time of year. So think about that. You can donate up until December 9th. You can just look up the Shoebox Project online, and there you can find a list of suggested items of what to put into your box, and you can also find out where you can drop them off. They also look for volunteers as well to kind of repack some of the boxes and drop them off. So um, I know through speaking to a lot of different charities and organizations around this time of year that people are always looking to volunteer. They're always looking for a way to give back around the holidays. So this might be a great one to do uh, with your family, your kids, your girlfriends. So think about that. Just a just a little wee PSA for you all. Um, my first guest who's in studio has... Uh, 
a very unique job. He is the Irish Whiskey Ambassador. Connor Timmins is here. Uh, welcome. You are fairly new to Toronto. It's only been a couple of months. Yeah, just been about three months now. And you moved from? From Tokyo. But you grew up in uh, Dublin, in Dublin, right? Yeah. Wow. So when I was saying to you as we were walking, I'm like, you don't have much of an accent. <laughs> yeah, I just, mm, I get it a lot. Uh, <laughs> I find myself always kind of giving the same story because uh, when people see me, they obviously think I have a bit of an Asian background. And then I open my mouth and <laughs> then they're like, okay, he sounds a little bit, you know. Uh, he's, and, from, uh, <laughs> he's from away somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, so your background is actually your ha- your Irish and Japanese. Yes, yes. And well, you've lived in both of those countries. And mm-hmm. so you're welcome to Toronto. Oh, um, thank you. So your job as an Irish whiskey ambassador, what does that actually mean? Because I think for people who uh, enjoy whiskey, mm-hmm. they're like, what? hey, dream job. Yeah, no, I've gotten that a lot. Everyone's always saying, like, how do I sign up? And why, how <laughs> why is this you? even a job? <laughs> um, but yeah, so my role entails of me basically being um, an advocate or a promoter, um, a personified uh, version of the brands that I, that I promote, um, these various Irish whiskeys. Um, there's a very large educational part of the job where I um, educate bartenders about the the craft of Irish whiskey, mm-hmm. um, how it's um, how it differs from other kind of whiskey categories, and uh, sometimes how to use it, you know, for various cocktails or just yeah, it's kind of our signature serves as we call them. And then there's also the consumer side where I. Um, on the most consumer-facing side of the job um, of the of the brand, where I'm literally engaging with people, um, having a drink with them, and trying to, you know, if I if it's the first time they're trying Irish whiskey, I want to try mm-hmm. and make sure it's a good first impression, and I'm the guy that can guide them through and. Tell them all, everything that they need to hear. Well, uh, I, my first memory of whiskey, maybe also my last, uh, <laughs> was, uh, ooh, this is strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when people have that sort of reaction, what do you say? Or was it perhaps that we're not having it the right way? Yeah, I mean, for a novice drinker, I want to make sure that they're drinking the right whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, I would never give a novice drinker something that would be too strong, like, you know, scotch whiskey tends to be a little smoky and... Uh, you know, um, certain whiskeys might be uh, a little bit higher um, alcohol by volume. So maybe it's a little, you know, that sting that spirits carry might be a little bit too intense. So uh, I would generally want to, yeah, maybe give them in a cocktail uh, something mixed or... Uh, that's know, just good. To Ease them of, into it. Yeah, it kind of takes the edge off a little bit um, because, yeah, a, a bad first impression could, you know, <laughs> really... <laughs> you know, to, uh, it can make you a little yeah, gun shy. Kind of spook people out <laughs> from uh, yeah. from drinking uh, what is um, definitely a, a really, really great, great drink. You know? Now, before you were the Irish whiskey ambassador, what was your background? Were you a mixologist? Um, um, I literally, um, I literally finished college, and uh, I was looking for a job. You know, in, <laughs> I'm like, this really now Dublin. sounds like dream come true sort of thing. You're like, I was just looking for a job, and <laughs> well, suddenly someone's hand reached out know, and grabbed and, me. <laughs> you know, the, the students in Dublin were all like, you know kind of looking for a job uh, mm-hmm. you know, we want to have something as we you know come out of college and uh, uh, I came across this program um, for it's basically like a, a brand ambassadors for um, for this uh, whiskey company in Ireland called Irish Distillers and um, the whiskies they have are Powers Whiskey which I'll be maybe talking about a little bit mm-hmm. there's also uh, the very popular Jameson and um, and um, other kind of uh, pot still whiskies and um, they basically recruit these young graduates, um, about 25 a year, and then they just scatter them all over the world um, to be, you know, on the ground, 
um, promoting their their product. That sounds really cool. It, um, like when I first heard it, I thought this was way too good to be true. Yeah, doesn't it sound um, like one of those things where you're like, no, that there's got to be a huge catch to this. Yeah, what is the catch? <laughs> but um, I mean, it, it is a it is a tough job. You know, mm-hmm. there is um, obviously a huge social side to it that's uh, a lot of fun. You have to be a very social person to do this job. I believe. I think so. Yeah. So, um, so I really enjoy going out, obviously, and you know, attending a lot of events or you know, just some kind of social settings and. You know, sometimes being the enabler of the social side, or else just a uh, you know a participant. But um, yeah, it's it's a uh, there is a lot of work. To, my my schedules are often well. Hectic. It's I think it's um, it's quite brave in many ways. I mean, you're you're fairly young uh, to to do this sort of job where you just get transplanted into different countries. So the fact that you were uh, grew up in Ireland and there that's where you're working, and all of a sudden they're like, okay. Now you're going to Japan. Uh, when they told you you were going to be living in Japan for a year, what was your reaction? I was so excited. Because like, I've been, I'm a bit of a, um, a wanderer. or mm-hmm. like, I, A bit nomadic? I, yeah, like I just, I like to travel. Um, I previously lived in uh, the Netherlands as well for a short period of my life. But uh, um, I was ready to, you know, go on an adventure. Mm-hmm. And that's what really attracted me to this job was not only... To be able to work with you know great brands and um, and be working in um, the the drinks industry, which is like a very fun social industry, but also just to be able to to move and to to be in interesting settings. Um, like I never saw myself being able to live in Canada. Um, had you been here before you moved to Toronto a few months ago? Um, I had been to Vancouver before. Okay, uh, for like a, a college thing. That's, right. Yeah, but, but you um, hadn't really been in the country. No, no. It, it was that was just a very short thing. Uh, what is your sort of general summary of Canadians? Because because you have <laughs> been around the world and you've lived in different places. I feel like Canadians and Irish people are very similar in terms <laughs> of our. You know, I think I feel like Irish people are always out to have fun. Mm-hmm. You know? in, in Ireland, we call it having the crack. Like, having the crack? Yeah, crack oh, is in spelled C R A I C, not like a C R A I C. Oh, okay. It's a very um, Irish term for basically just means fun. So uh, it's kind of like having a good time. Would you exactly. say to somebody like, "We're going to go have the crack"? <laughs> yeah. I just want to use it properly because yeah. I don't no, know yeah. that I'm going. It's like you know, um, you, so you go to say someone like you know. Um, yeah, like it's it's uh, we're having some good crack, you know. Like oh that's, my. That's, that's it means something so different here. <laughs> I know, which is, why, which is why I find really really funny, and I'm trying to explain people like, no, no, we're we're not bad people. <laughs> we're we're just trying to have a bit of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's like you totally know, different meaning. We just want the crack. <laughs> we just want the crack. We want the good time, but not not yeah. the crack the way we associate yeah. with it. Uh, how different was Japan in terms of that crowd versus you know uh, Ireland versus? Toronto. Yeah, the I mean Japanese people are amazing. They're they're so great. They'll they'll always put you first, and uh, they they're really hospitable. They they want you to, to ensure you're comfortable and stuff like that. But um, in terms of you know they're 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 a bit more closed. I feel like just just a little bit. You mm-hmm. know they're they don't really stick their neck. If out. If I'm going to generalize, Asians can be a bit more proper. Yeah. <laughs> so um, when I was out there. It was still a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and uh, and believe me, some Did of these they like Japanese the crack. Guys, oh yeah, <laughs> but you have to wean it into them. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, have to, you have to like slowly drag <laughs> it out of them. It's not automatic. Like yeah, the crack. <laughs> exactly. But um, no, like when I compare my role here compared mm-hmm. to in Tokyo, it's definitely a lot more active and lively here. Yeah, over there because also Irish whiskey is such a small category in Asia mm-hmm. right now. It's it's um it's it's the fastest growing category uh, in spirits. In the world right now, mm-hmm. but uh, but Asia it's still like small, huge potential, right? But uh, but still kind of small, and um, so I, I found myself 
constantly trying to you know, explain what Ireland was. A lot of people don't right. know what Ireland was. People thought I was from Iceland for yeah. like a long time. <laughs> hey, uh, close, sort of, not really. Uh, so I can understand sort of perhaps the education level that was needed mm-hmm. over there. Um, so, Condor, you're going to stick around. After the break, we're going to do a little bit of a Whiskey 101. We'll mm-hmm. uh, basically make everyone sound like a pro when it comes to the holiday season in terms of language, purchasing, knowing what how to distinguish between the different uh, whiskeys and, uh, and how to serve it. So in a mm-hmm. few minutes, we're all going to be whiskey experts, just like Connor. Uh, you're listening to The Page Show here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the show. We're about to do a little bit of a uh, Whiskey 101. Uh, for those of you who might be interested in maybe incorporating this into your holiday cheer or entertaining, maybe not even for the holidays, throughout the year. So I have Connor Timmons with me. He's the Irish Whiskey Ambassador. So we talked a bit about your background, uh, that this job is taking you all over the world. So you're fairly new to Toronto. So it's been about three months, um, which means that you get to experience our sort of like holiday season. Exactly. Yeah. Now, this time of year when people are thinking about stocking their bar, it's usually um, like I know for myself, I have a small space, so I don't have a lot. But if I'm entertaining, that's when I start thinking about picking up a few extra things that other people might enjoy um, or that they might want to mix. So when it comes to whiskey, I find it intimidating because I know that people switch the words around a little bit. Like sometimes people say scotch. I'm like, is scotch whiskey? Are they the mm-hmm. same thing? Uh, let's So let's talk a bit about what whiskey is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, how whiskeys differ is basically from where they're, where they're from regionally um, and, you know, how they're made. Is it um, made with... Uh, barley or like it's made with um, grain, like um, like a maize or a rye. Um, but they all have um, similar, in terms of production, it's all various forms of cereal grains that are uh, put in a mash with yeast that is kind of turned into almost like a beer that's then distilled um, and then aged in oak barrels. And then, uh, so this is kind of a... Um, uh, that's the kind of the two cent tour, if you will. Okay, um, like the general yeah. definition. Um, but when you're looking at different areas, yeah. So you know, um, Irish whiskey um, is usually um, either a blend or um, what is called a pot still, oh. which is um, a very traditional form of making whiskey, where we use a malted barley, mm-hmm. which just also mixed with raw barley, and this creates a, a nice kind of a creamy oily kind of liquid. So you'll find that Irish whiskeys uh, usually have a bit of a creamy mouthfeel. Okay. They they have um, a bit of an oiliness. Mm -hmm. If you were to run it against the glass, like tip your glass over and see uh, the whiskey kind of dripping down. Right. It has what we call like long legs. Okay. Oh, that's also, that's a wine term too, right? Okay. sure. And I know very little about wine, but I know it has legs. (laughs) Um, And then... I guess um, yeah. So you're saying before, like, is is Scotch a whiskey? Yeah, it's it's all it's all whiskey. But um, is it okay? Can yeah. you? But is it? Um, can Scotch only be used to describe a particular product, or like, if you just handed me a bottle of whiskey, could I call it a Scotch? No, because it had to be from Scotland first mm-hmm. of all. Um, um, and then if if it was, um, you know, if I was to give you a whiskey and it was made in America or mm-hmm. something like that, it's probably like a, a bourbon or a Tennessee whiskey. Oh, so I was going to ask, why does bourbon, how does that, you know, change things? Yeah, so all the, basically all the regions or all the countries, they have various rules and regulations um, which allow you to term your, your liquid what it is, uh, oh. just to prevent people from kind of cheating in a way, um, 
to just kind of get something out and just call it something that it shouldn't be. You right. Know? So, um, so in Ireland, for example, uh, in order for a liquid to be called whiskey, it has to be aged for at least three years. Okay. And then it has, yeah, so aged in a, in like a wooden cask, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and then in in um, America, for example, if you're making bourbon, it has to be at least fifty one percent corn, and it has to be aged in new American oak barrels. So oh, okay. there are all these kind of little rules. Small differences. Yeah. If someone called an American product, which was a bourbon, if they called it a whiskey, would that be incorrect? Um, I mean, it's, it still is whiskey. It yeah. still is, it but still it's is whiskey. P- the proper definition would be just called a bourbon if it's from the I US. Guess. Yeah. Okay. So uh, are there, what about Canadian products? So, yeah, we have, um, like, so since coming to Canada, I've been learning a bit about Canadian whiskeys. I got to go down to the, the Weiser's uh, distillery down in, um, in uh, Windsor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned that, yeah, C- Canadian whiskey uses a lot of different grains. You know, they use um, the corn and wheat, barley and rye. And um, it's a super flexible production allowing for very kind of yeah interesting flavors it's kind of light i guess um the canadian whiskey but um um when i compare canadian whiskey to irish whiskey mm-hmm. um uh irish whiskey is just so much smoother right um and that's because all irish whiskey is generally triple distilled that's okay. um the term where so distillation is one of the most important uh, parts of the process of mm-hmm. creating whiskey where you're separating your alcohol from your water. And um, when it's done in Ireland, it's done in a way where they they do the process three times in that it's kind of filtering out all these impurities right. in the liquid. And then what you're left with is just an incredibly clean, smooth liquid. Now, you brought a bottle uh, just so I had something to see. <laughs> now, does a color variation mean anything? Or does that have to do with maybe the barrel that it was aged in? Yeah, so... Um, the the liquid always gets its color from yeah the wood mm-hmm. it's a kind of interaction with the 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 wood that it sits in uh, generally if the liquid is in the wood for a long time and it has a longer time to kind of interact then it can get a bit of a darker color um, also for example um, the kind of barrels that we use in in Dublin we use X bourbon barrels mm-hmm. and X sherry barrels oh so um, basically yes yeah, so we we import these barrels that have flavor notes in them from mm-hmm. being previously used uh, with other spirits. And um, they impart kind of interesting notes and colors onto our whiskey. So uh, so sherry barrels kind of give a nice dark color to um, to the liquid because, right. you know, sherry is already kind of a nice dark red color. Mm-hmm. Now, what are common ways to serve whiskey? So, um, yeah, so um, the the most common way would be to serving kind of neat, I guess, mm-hmm. which is just pouring it as it is, yeah. or um, or on the rocks, as people say. Just so neat would that re- would that imply room temperature? Yeah. Okay. It's very important um, that you don't leave your whiskey in like a fridge or something like that because um, when you chill it, it kind of dulls the taste. Oh, okay. So leave it at room temperature. So if R- somebody wants it neat, it's just pouring it straight into a glass. Exactly. Uh, on the rocks, over ice. Mm-hmm. Um, another way as well would be. Because uh, I I would if if you had like a very nice whiskey and you're trying it for the first time I would definitely try it neat and then also try it with water because um, um, if you have water it um, kind of opens up the flavors a little bit okay and um, it's I feel almost like it would like, also make it a bit easier to sip <laughs> <laughs> yeah of, of course uh, for for definitely yeah, like a novice drinker mm-hmm. I would also I would always recommend um, adding a few splashes of water 
and uh, just gradually, like don't don't pour in a lot, just drop by drop, and then take a sip, and you see, you know, have you reached a kind of a nice comfort level? Because um, you don't want to water it down too much, right? And um, and like I said, if it's chilled, so if you have it with ice, it does kind of dull the taste a little bit. You're kind of mm-hmm. you're gonna miss out on a couple of those flavors. Um, like this whiskey that I have with me, Powers whiskey, has a a really nice spice kind of cinnamon taste to it. Kind of these nutmeg hints that are really really beautiful. Great for um, the holidays. <laughs> yeah, and if you were to mix it with ice, you know, you might miss out on you, you might. But yeah. it, it's still it's still nice on ice, but. Um, Okay. Well, these are. I like this because I feel like once I know some of the terms, then I feel more confident in mm-hmm. being like, "How do you want that?" I know what that means. Neat. <laughs> and we're all going to have the crack, and it's all going to be a good time <laughs> over the holidays. Uh, thank you so much, Connor, and uh, welcome to, to Toronto. Hope you enjoy your first oh. uh, holiday season here. So that's my guest, uh, Irish whiskey ambassador Connor Connor Timmins. Coming up after the break, we'll chat with Chef Lynn Crawford. You're listening to the Pay Chen Show here on In Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the show. We're getting you ready for the holiday days on the show today, just a couple of weeks left before Christmas and the new year. And uh, even if you're not doing anything big for the holidays, I'm not. I, I often don't. These are all good tips to help you plan tasty dishes during all the busy times throughout the year. On the line, I have Chef Lynn Crawford. Uh, hi, Chef. How are you? Happy holidays. Hey, I have to say congratulations because I know we might hear a little uh, a little wee one as well over the phone. <laughs> That's right. Little Addie Pepper is with me right now. So we're having our very first we're having our very first radio interview talking about uh, one of my favorite ingredients at the holiday times, eggs. And so um, celebrating the egg farmers of Canada. Which is great. You've been working with them for a while now, right? Yeah, I certainly have, and uh, what a huge honor because, uh, you know, there's over a thousand egg farmers, as you know, across Canada, of these families that are working so, so hard to give us the, the freshest quality eggs. And you know what? As we all know, as chefs that we love to cook, you, how many recipes include eggs? So, so many. So, during the holidays, I'm, we're just, I'm, I'm really baked more than you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. Now, Chef, um, do you end up hosting for the most part and like doing a lot of the cooking? Is it because like, hey, Lynn's the chef, so she should be, she'll be making all the food? Well, you know, it's it's always, I always encourage a little bit of potluck at uh, during the holidays, but certainly, yes, I mean, the house is, you know, I love the time of year because it is a moment where you get to, you know, chill out a little bit and, and uh, spend it with friends and family. And a big part of that celebration during the holidays is certainly, you know, Great food, great wine, great friends, great laughs, and yeah, yeah. So I'm, when, I'm up for it. Well, now that you've got a, a little one in the house, um, I'm sure you are even more aware of, I guess, like saving time <laughs> or trying to be really productive and cutting back on some of that stress. Yeah, well, I think I mean everybody. I mean, I think it's self-inflicted stress at this time of year. I think that you have to go in with a plan to just make yourself happy just as much as your guests, you know, and not overextend yourself. And, um, you know, I've, I've sort of set sort of little menus of, of little, you know, who I know is going to be coming over. I've got a certain menu for, for those uh, friends or family coming over. But then, you know, have, have some cookies. You know, have a cookie dough in the, and already made up in the freezer. And then when you know you've got some company coming at the last minute, guess what? Turn on the oven. <laughs> And bake off those cookies. But, you know, it's always like, don't overextend yourself. You know, it's all about, uh, you know, sharing the good times. Now, do you do a lot of your prep 
in advance because I I would say that one of the things um, I guess mistakes that I've made when I try to entertain people is I spend so much time in the kitchen trying to get stuff done that I'm the the person who enjoys and mingles the least. Yeah, hey, you know, me too. And and I've gotten a lot smarter over the years. And it's about doing, you know, doing um, stick to recipes that can be done. You know, prep them up in advance so that you can just slide them into the oven at the last minute either to you know warm them up or um, you know make it simple. You know, a big bowl of of pasta, a big lasagna ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, a wonderful recipe that I go go like to go to uh, X.ca for some recipes there, and I've, I've given a whole bunch. But um, I've got a, this sweet potato bread pudding, which is so yummy, decadent. It's got pecans and caramel sauce. And that one, I've already, I've made that three times in the last, you know, couple of weeks. Oh, yeah? It's a, it's a, it's a, no, it's such a hit. It's so delicious. So good and so easy. But, yeah, make, make things that are sort of done up ahead so you don't have to, you know, don't be making bake Alaska's on the last, you know, <laughs> the last five minutes before the doorbell rings. Now, do you, are there certain uh, dishes when you're having your you know, friends and family over that are the, the traditional ones, like the ones that you always have to have on the table? Well, you know, it's kind of, you know, it goes back, it goes back to, like, your sort of family traditions, Right. And um, a really delicious pierogi is is there from Laura's side of the family. You know, pierogies and sauerkraut and bacon, delish. You know, if it's that crazy 1970s, you know, shrimp tree with, you know, uh, <laughs> with cocktail sauce, you know, that's fun. You know, a nice selection of, of hors d'oeuvres. Like, I love a deviled egg. So deviled eggs, you know, make a little pate. But, you know, it's. It's kind of like a nice, you know, maple brown sugar glazed, you know, ham. Yeah. With cheddar biscuits. Perfect. But again, like, it's like, you know, you, you make those things, you put them out on the table, and then guess what? Just dive in, everybody. Buffet's open. I, do you like doing a buffet style or like um, do you, having everybody grab their own food or do you, do you plate everything? You know, I'm kind of... <laughs> Depending on how many people come over. You know, a lot of people like to help me out in the kitchen, which I think is very grand, you know. Um, but do you but, like having help in the kitchen, or do you find they get in the way? <laughs> no, I love it. I encourage it. I think it's great. You know, more the merrier. You know, I have this big island in the kitchen, and, you know, that's the focal point. Um, you know, but that's that, that's the heart of, of, of my home is just the kitchen with the big island. So I think more the merrier in there. But I get it. You know, some people... <laughs> Just that they have a do not disturb sign. Yeah, there's some people who are like, "This is my kitchen, and you're in the way when oh, you walk I'm, in." No, I'm, I'm, I'm bring it, bring it. Who's good at saucing? Who's good at dishes? Dishes, and uh, there you go. It's always good to find someone who's good at dishes, or that's that's the person who you never want to touch the food. You're like you, you are on dish duty because that's the job <laughs> that everyone can do. Um, I I know that you've also got some like holiday hacks that might make things a little bit easier. Well, you know, I think it's about. You know, you might not have time to make the chicken stock, you know? You know, pick that up. And should you feel bad if you don't? No, don't feel bad. Don't. I don't feel bad sometimes if I've had to do that. I mean, I'm pretty lucky because I can always drive by, you know, drive to Ruby uh, Watchco and, and pick up some <laughs> stocks. But if you're at a pinch, you know, there's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, 
like you don't want to go like you know me i like to do everything myself that's the thing i think that's also um you know i i would never go and buy a bottle dressing um for sure i wouldn't do that but like if okay so let's talk about you know a little beverage you got this you know christmas cocktail happening Mm -hmm. you know you're not going to be pressing your your apples for apple cider i go for you know just you know pick up a big jug of it you know and um have a you know, if you need to have a, a little bit of the, the fruit salad sort of already, already you know, ready, then I, I would do that maybe for a brunch. Um, but, you know, that's like, hey, in a pinch, you know, you've got people over and I'm buying croissants. Who has time to make croissants <laughs> at home, right? It feels but good to have a chef like, uh, you know, someone like Lynn Crawford say it's okay to buy some of the things. Well, you know, the thing is what you just said at the very beginning, Pay, is that, you know, you want to spend time with your friends and family during the holiday. So listen, if somebody else is going to cut up the fruit, good. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Let them do it. And uh, it, I think um, people put a lot of pressure on themselves, right? Like to make, like, this is this is the time to impress everyone. Uh, I've got to do it all. Or there's like some sort of shame uh, cone that you have to wear. Yeah, I mean, well, listen, I, like I do like to make things absolutely from from scratch, and but I I don't I don't discourage anybody who who doesn't have the time to go out and to go source out like some products, you know, if you go to say for example say the lunch market and you're picking up a beautiful stolen, like go for it, you know, instead of making your own, like I get that. Um, you know, lovely corned beef that's you know already you know shaved beautifully, like. Like, I get it. You know, go out and source out the, you know, the suppliers that do it the best. You know, the you know those artisans, those bakers, those, those you know, butchers that do things best. Go for it. No, uh, just as we wrap up, I know that you created some recipes uh, all featuring eggs, which is kind of one of my favorite quick and easy proteins. Yeah. So all it's, of that's um, online? Listen, if you guys, if you... Please go to eggs.ca. I mentioned it just a, a couple of minutes ago. There is so many delicious recipes to choose from, and it's a great website, great learning website too. But there's a lot of festive, fun, delicious recipes on there. You know, holiday treats are made uh, made with eggs. Take on a, a totally special, you know, meaning, and uh, it's really the most fertile, versatile, delicious. You know, ingredients and they are fresh, local, and delicious. So, I'm a big, I'm a big egg fan. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks so much, Chef. Appreciate it. And uh, congrats on the baby and happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays to you. And I look forward to cooking with you sometime. Knock on the door. I will, I'll, I'll be over there in about 10 minutes. So, Listen, please let me in. I, I've got the bourbon punch ready. We'll okay. make some deviled eggs. And have to, I'll have a couple of laps. <laughs> Amazing. I love this party. Thanks so much, Chef. All right, take care. That's Chef Lynn Crawford. Uh, Coming up after the break, we'll give you a little little primer on uh, some things that have been changing in the wine industry, including a woman who just won a huge award and honor for being a CEO of a winery. You're listening to The Pay Chan Show here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the show. I have Sandra Oldfield on the line from uh, Tinhorn Creek, 
Sandra, I have to say congratulations because you just won a, a really big award. So it was by the Women's Executive Network. You're one of the um, top 100 in their uh, Sun Life Financial Trailblazers and Trendsetters category, which kind of puts you at the top of this list of Canada's most powerful women. How does that feel? Well, uh, yeah, thank you. It feels uh, great, but a little odd. <laughs> <laughs> Why odd? <laughs> um, well, unexpected. And, um, you know, you never really feel like you're worthy of an award that calls you powerful in the same sentences as all of Canada. Well, I guess we should go back to maybe, you know, the early days of your career. So when you started making wine, so you're based in British Columbia. That's right. And when you started in the wine industry in BC in 95, at that time, there really weren't that many female winemakers, let alone CEOs. There wasn't a lot of wineries out here, although I will say there was about uh, 28 or so at the time. Um, today, there's roughly a little over 300. Um, but at the time, out of the 28, there was a, actually a decent amount of female winemakers uh, as a percentage. Mm-hmm. I'd say the industry has grown faster than women winemakers have grown, but there's still there's quite a few women winemakers in B.C., now, uh, what about CEOs? So I would imagine that's even a smaller yeah, number. That, well, again, since most of the wineries in British Columbia and, and, and also the case in Ontario, so many of them are quite small, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of wineries are, are headed up by um, couples, you know, because they're family-run businesses. Oh, yeah. So from that standpoint, there's, there's a lot of uh, women who are running wineries, but when it comes to a larger winery, we're, we're, we're a little bit larger than family-run. You know, we have uh, 30 employees. At that stage, then, no, there's not that many women who are running uh, wineries. Yeah. Now, what brought you to British Columbia? Where did you move from? Oh, it was a guy thing. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, moved up from um, Northern California. I had uh, received my master's degree in winemaking down there and was fully expecting to stay in California, and I met my future husband down at UC Davis, where where the winemaking program is, and he was uh, studying for grape growing uh, the vineyards at Tinhorn Creek, and I ended up taking a left turn after graduation and, and starting Tinhorn Creek with him. Now, when you were in that uh, wine program, were there many women? Well, again, it's a pretty um, elite group mm-hmm. down there. It's a difficult. Uh, it's a difficult major to go into as a master's degree. So I think in our class of winemakers, there was only about thirteen at the time, and it was the first time ever in their history that there was just one more female than males. Right. And now I believe that it, I don't know that that happens every year, but it's been quite common in the last twenty years that more females are going into winemaking. Uh, at, at least at that school, than males. Now, I know that you've been trying to sort of to change and improve your, you know, local wine industry, but I guess the Canadian wine in- industry also as a whole. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, for me, wine is an agricultural product. It's it's not. Uh, I understand the regulation of it. it. It certainly is alcohol, and I understand that. But uh, it's unique in that it's it's more of a food item in my mind than anything else. And I've always had an issue with the fact that in the U.S. and in Canada, there was um, it was really hard to get your wine across provincial or state borders. And the regulations on that are very prohibitive. And 
in the U.S., they've changed their laws in, in the time that I've been up here, and, and now the wine is able to be shipped direct from wineries in California, say, to most, uh, almost all the states in the U.S., mm-hmm. but in the same amount of time, it, it hasn't yet changed in Canada. And most of these laws go back to prohibition uh, times, and I just somehow feel that we're so far away from prohibition that <laughs> it, it's time for us to start taking a look at at uh, how this is negative and uh, you know it's negatively impacting our our um our small businesses and you know we we have a good agricultural base that needs to be supported. So does this mean it's cuz for people who perhaps don't uh travel too much or have never tried to to purchase wine when they travel um I guess we should explain that the challenge is that when you like, so if I I was just actually in British Columbia um, a, a week ago, and um, if I found a, a wine there that I really liked, how do I buy it? You can buy it and you can bring it home because mm-hmm. that that was um, liberalized a few years ago here with a federal bill that basically allows the average citizen like you to carry it back. So there's no issue with you buying it out here and carrying it back. The problem comes with um, online sales, like mm-hmm. if whether or not you're physically at the winery when you purchase it, or if you're sitting in Ontario and you say, I want a case of Tinhorn Creek wine, um, that has not uh, opened up yet. So some provinces have opened up their borders. British Columbia, for example, opened up its borders. So um, if if I'm sitting here in British Columbia and I and I go online and I buy a case of Ontario wine, mm-hmm. I can legally have that shipped to me. Oh, okay. But the reciprocal has never happened. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there are some there are some um, provinces that have opened up their borders, like mm-hmm. Manitoba, Nova Scotia, and British Columbia, but not you know not what we would like to see, which you know the big wine-drinking provinces, of course, are Quebec, Ontario, and and Alberta. We do like our wine. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, so you even started a a hashtag. It was like hashtag free my grapes. Well, I certainly didn't start that. Okay. No, yeah, that was the free my grapes campaign came out of the similar campaign in the U.S. when they were trying to open up their borders, and uh, it was picked up here. I just um, helped publicize it on Twitter. Ah, okay. And, and right. what what did that involve? Because uh, you you did there was kind of a stunt involved that uh, was to drive home the point of how challenging it is to to buy wine across borders. Right. It was at the time that they were looking at changing our federal laws to open it all up, and the federal laws did get changed. But then what happened after that was individual provinces stepped in and put restrictions back on at the provincial level. So at the time, we were hoping to get it all opened up with federal legislation. I had um, tried to make a point of, um, you know, how silly some of these laws are and how old and archaic they are that I could get on. I got on the phone and basically on the Internet ordered a um, shotgun from a I think at the time it was Manitoba, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and it was shipped to me by Canada Post. You ordered a shotgun to be shipped to you. Yeah, and it was. <laughs> and you got it. <laughs> and I got it via Canada Post. Yeah. And at the same time, um, people can do the same thing with with wine. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from my perspective, it was, it was a stunt for sure. It was mm-hmm. meant to show people that... Um, 
you know, uh, we need to rethink this. But it, we have come a little ways, but unfortunately what happened with the passing of the, of the federal law is that um, provincial um, authorities stepped in and actually put more barriers on after that passed. So we're kind of, you know, one step forward, two steps back a little bit on some of these issues. Now, um, I, I know that you're uh, quite active on Twitter as well, so online, and that you would also... <laughs> it's a great way to make friends. <laughs> I do love Twitter, yeah. <laughs> and um, I believe you, you helped start the hashtag ON for Ontario, so Ontario Wine Chat, which was a I spinoff, started right? started Wine Chat. Right. And I didn't start ON Wine Chat, but after a couple years of running... Um, the hashtag BC Wine Chat, uh, I had uh, some phone calls from people that wanted to do the same out in Ontario. So I gave them a little bit of a heads up on some things they should um, consider. And mm-hmm. then we, we run them on the same night but not at the same time. And so sometimes we're aligned and we will actually talk about the same subject. Uh, not, not often, but every once in a while. And sometimes we're, most weeks we're, we're doing separate topics. So it's weekly? It's yeah, like it's online weekly. chat. Yeah, yeah. The one in Ontario, I believe, is is uh, ten o'clock uh, local time on Wednesday night, mm-hmm. and out here in BC, it's at eight o'clock our local time, which would be uh, eleven o'clock uh, Ontario time. Okay, yeah. um, and. Just very quickly, I want to touch upon some of the um, sustainable advancements that you've you've made with the winery and how sure. I guess uh, other wineries could perhaps change the way they do things. Sure, we we are well f- from a baseline of carbon. We're carbon neutral, and we've we've been carbon neutral for at least I want to say I should know this offhand. It's about seven years mm-hmm. now. Um, that to me is a, a very small piece of of uh, our sustainability program. It's certainly important. It includes, you know, your fuel and your and your um, electricity and um, shipping. You know, using uh, trucks to ship your wine to market. How much garbage you throw away, things like that. Right. That's all included in that. But I'd say the the other parts that we've been focusing on a little bit more has been water usage. Mm-hmm. Out here in BC, we're we're in Canada's only desert, and uh, our vines definitely need to be watered. But you know, we've been able to switch um, all of our um, system over to save us. Um, we're actually only use now about thirty percent of the water we ever used to use. Wow, that's a big difference. Trip. Yeah, it's, it, but again, it's quite different from Ontario, right? Because mm-hmm. in Ontario, you know, you guys you get a good amount of rainfall in right. your wine region and you're looking sometimes more for for drainage than right. for, for more water. <laughs> Out here we're looking for the water. Um, and then, you know, the other thing for me has to do with, uh, your, with uh, your employees. Mm-hmm. So for us, sustainability has kind of taken a different twist in that, you know, how can we ensure that we are giving our employees everything they need so that we don't have to rehire. Right. And, you know, I mean, for me, the the ultimate goal of a good sustainability program always includes in um, how you treat your employees. And, uh, you know, no employer likes to have to go out and constantly be rehiring. And so, you know, we've we've instituted a a pretty skookum uh, health and safety program here. And last month we got awarded a Canada Safest Employer Award for 
hospitality across all of Canada. So wow. That Congratulations. Was a, that was another time I came out to... Uh, Toronto for an award. Well, uh, maybe yeah. you'll be out here again because those are both very high achievements. Thank you so much for your time, Sandra. Really no appreciate worries. it. Okay, thanks so much. Okay, that's the CEO of Tinhorn Creek Vineyards, uh, Sandra Oldfield. Have a great weekend, everyone. I'll be back next Saturday at 3 p.m. Uh, just a reminder, you can catch podcasts online, paychen.com. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at paychen.